Welcome back to Mustard Seed Bible Study Series. Uh, I'm glad you've joined in, uh, tuned in here today. We are continuing to go through the book of Jonah, and we are on uh, verse 11 of chapter 1 here today, and we'll be looking at the the remainder of chapter 1. And if you're just tuning in, um, we're going to finish up chapter 1 in the next three lessons. We're going to take chapter 2 in its entirety, chapter 3 in its entirety, and then chapter 4 as well. And then we'll possibly do a, a final uh, wrap-up lesson as well. So, so three or four lessons here remain after today. So uh, without further ado, Initially here, we have witnessed Jonah, we've, we've witnessed his rebellion, his, his defiant flight from the command of the Lord, and instead of obeying the, the divine directive to journey to Nineveh, what Jonah does is he fled to the opposite direction. He flees towards Tarshish. And so this journey in the southwestern direction was opposite of the northeastern path that, that went to Nineveh. And so in his disobedience here, Jonah's sin was laid completely bare before the omniscient gaze of the Lord. And remarkably, the Lord exposed Jonah's transgressions, not to fellow believers, but to pagan sailors, these mariners who found themselves there bearing witness to the disobedience of the one who professed to serve the Almighty. So today... As we dive deeper into Jonah's narrative, uh, our passage here unfolds this compelling depiction here of, of deliverance. And uh, three things I want us to uh, preface our minds on today, and that is under what conditions are we rescued? So under what conditions are we rescued? Secondly, how does deliverance manifest? So what conditions are we rescued and how does deliverance manifest and then lastly who is it who ultimately bears responsibility for our salvation so these are the the inquiries of our passage today and these are what our passage i believe addresses in so beautiful fashion and so uh, i'll go ahead and read here uh, if you are sitting at home and you have your bible open i i encourage you to uh, to look your eyes upon the perfect inerrant word of God. If you're out and about, if you're if you're moving, you have your headphones on, or if you're listening in the car, um, I will read it aloud to you. So, uh, Jonah chapter one, verse eleven says this. And then they said to him, "What shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous." And he said to them, "Pick me up, hurl me into the sea." then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
this passage. We thank you that your word is, is living and active and that it cuts sharper than any two-edged sword, deep between soul and spirit and between bone and marrow. Father, I pray that you do that today, that your spirit guides the word deep into our hearts. And let us rejoice as we see the magnificence of, of your son, the magnificence of, of a great savior that we have, a great deliverer that we have in you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So firstly, we observe the sailors in this remarkable transformation of their disposition towards their circumstances, right? Initially, they were gripped by terror as they faced this tempestuous sea. And then they soon discern that Jonah is the source of, of their predicament. He's the source in which is stirring God's wrath, the source of this, this, uh, this sea being raged upon them. And so faced with danger here, they turned to Jonah, the representative of the Almighty, the representative of the God who created the heavens and the, and the seas and the dry land. They're seeking counsel from him on how to appease his God to suppress the storm. Jonah's response here, it, it demanded their action. It demanded that they, that they uh, take heed of this uh, exhortation or this heed of this, uh, this warning, this calling here, uh, this demand by Jonah. He says, cast me into the sea and tranquility would, would be restored. The, the seas would calm. The sailors, however, uh, they displayed in a sense a nobility that really surpasses Jonah's own. Uh, they're, they're hesitating from the notion of sacrificing a life to preserve their own. Instead, they, they, you see what they do here. They endeavor to resolve their own predicament here through their own strength. They're furiously rowing towards the safety of the shore. Their efforts here, as we've seen, they proved futile. For the Lord's wrath continued to, to persist and, and thwarted their escape. Their, their reluctance to, to sacrifice Jonah here, um, it really it underscores a, a moral awareness that is infused into them, a recognition of the sanctity of life, which, again, contrasting starkly with Jonah's indifference towards, uh, towards their difficulty, indifference towards uh, the Ninevites who are dead in their trespasses following the, the course of the world. And so, like these sailors here, we can uh, really search our hearts and ask ourselves the question of, of how often do we, in the face of divine command, rely upon our own abilities? How often do we find ourselves rowing hard for the shore instead of submitting to the will of God? Oh, dear Christian, Dear, uh, dearly beloved who are, who are listening, uh, take great comfort in, in, in being reminded that at times you and I, in our weakness, in our, 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 our weak humanity, can gravitate towards the strength of our flesh. We may fail to give thought to the will of God, but take great comfort that we have a great high priest who has gone before us 
who was in complete and perfect obedience to the will of God. We look to him. We look to Christ. He is the captain of our salvation. He is our forerunner. He has paved the way. He has done all in which you and I are incapable. And praise be to God. Every measure of salvation belongs to the Lord. As Jonah prays in chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He, he and he alone holds that in his hand. He and he alone uh, was in perfect obedience and is in perfect obedience to the Father. And, and so uh, we are plunging here into a narrative of, of immense power. And that, that power is God's power. It's displayed here in, in many ways. Uh, the one that stands forefront here is, is the stilling of the sea. Verse 15, it represents a, a very pivotal moment where this tempestuous waters stirred by divine wrath are instantly hushed at the command of the Almighty. Instantly. This is no ordinary occurrence. It is a demonstration of God's sovereign authority over his creation. We can fast forward from the time here uh, of this narrative, fast forward some 800 years, and I ask you, who is it? Who is it that calmed the raging sea of Galilee? Who is it? Who was it that had walked on water? That is your Savior. That is your forerunner. That is Christ. The one who, through him, all things were created. To him is all power and dominion. Just consider for a moment just the magnitude here of this event that we read. This raging tempest subdued. It's waves silenced. All at the mere utterance of the divine decree. In this act, we witness the raw power of the creator. The raw power of the creator whose, whose dominion extends over the seas and extends over the dry lands alike and extends to the cosmos, extends to all creation. It's a reminder of, of the psalmist's declaration in Psalm 33, 8. The psalmist says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And so it is that we can step outside and, and we can look up into the heavens. We can see his handiwork. We can stand in awe of him and how wonderful of a creator we have. How magnificent and how vast our God is. Further, this displays uh, a power that, that underscores a fundamental truth. That fundamental truth is uh, deliverance originates from God alone. Salvation originates from God alone. The source is God alone. The sailors, in their desperate plight, they, they recognize this truth and, and they turn to the one source of deliverance, the Lord. The God of Jonah, 
and their acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, it, it paved a way for their salvation. As God revealed himself to them through this tempestuous storm, through the use of, of his prophet Jonah, who is fleeing from Nineveh, but yet finds himself doing the very thing in which he f- was fleeing from. He's proclaiming to pagans that happen to be the sailors of the God who can bring deliverance. That only through him can you find deliverance. The source of salvation belongs to God. So God in his sovereignty allows Jonah to flee from Nineveh to find himself on this boat to find himself in a in a place in which he really was running from and that of standing before pagans and and exhorting them to repent and in and in those means the lord uses his power over his creation both the raging storm and his prophet Jonah to declare to to these unregenerate hearts and these mariners where deliverance comes from, the source of deliverance. And they cry out. They cry out to the Lord. And it's such a beautiful display here of God's sovereignty, God's providence in, in bringing people to saving faith the way and the means in which he uses. Uh, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, chapter 5. <clears throat> it's uh, the chapter of, it's entitled, Of Divine Providence. I just want to read here for, really quickly here, paragraph 5. It's, it's so beautiful. The, the framers of the 1689 articulated this so beautifully, this, this truth of, of who our God is. It says this, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God does oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for other just and holy ends. I want to just really highlight that for other just and holy ends. So here we see this. We see the, the, the Lord uh, giving, uh, really giving Jonah over to his, the corruption of his own heart wanting to, to flee away from the commands of the Lord. And then we see in God's providence, the way in which he allowed that to happen in order to, to, to use Jonah to proclaim deliverance, proclaim the source of deliverance and to these once pagan sailors. So we see here, where, where the, the 1689 says, and for other just and holy ends. We see that right here. A just and holy end in which these sailors come to a saving faith 
they they praise the Lord, they they give sacrifice and make vows to the Lord. And we can only assume with I think a great assumption that one day you will see these mariners in eternity. They will be around the great table of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they will feast alongside with you in 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 marvel in fully sanctified, glorified bodies and give praise to their God, praise to their Savior for all of eternity. And, and what joy, what joy is in that we can see in this narrative the way in which the Lord uses even, really, even our sins. Jonah here, he's he's in sin and that of the sin of omission. He, so he's, he's turning his eyes away from the calling of the Lord, what he knows the Lord desires him to do. And even in that, God's sovereign providence is, is, is upon it and that of bringing these mariners uh, to saving faith. And it's such a beautiful display of salvation belonging to the Lord. And so let us not overlook here uh, that profound implication. And so just as the sailors <clears throat> faced a, a stormy sea, uh, we too can encounter turbulent waters in various aspects of of our existence on this side of eternity, whether it's navigating financial challenges, laboring in our vocations, navigating marital dynamics or, or relationship dynamics or stewarding of our time. Uh, scripture provides guidance for, for every facet of life. And be reminded, not as a self-help book, but rather as the scriptures highlight our inadequacies through the law, through warning passages, right, we are pointed to the pinnacle of the scriptures. We are pointed to Christ Jesus. We are pointed towards our refuge. We are pointed towards our sanctuary that is in Christ. As, we are, as our weaknesses are exposed through the word, the power of Christ supersedes and is a stark, stark reminder salvation belongs to the Lord. Yet in our, our tendencies to, to perhaps rely upon our own strength from time to time, uh, we often find ourselves like these, these mariners rowing hard for the shore, right? and somewhat oblivious to the sovereign power of God. In our culture's chaos, in our culture's moral decline, where divorce, abortion, fornication, sexual immorality, and various new ways of sinning, the solution does not lie in human efforts, does not lie in legislative agendas. True deliverance can only, only be found in the Lord. Repentance and turning to the sovereign God of heaven and earth setting your eyes to the finished work of Christ. The sailor's journey from fear to faith serves as a, a tender illustration of that truth. Their initial terror gives way to a reverent fear of the Lord, leading them to worship and sacrifice before him. It is a testament to the transformative power of encountering the sovereign God 
a power that compels us to, to surrender our lives wholly to him. If we back up here just a, a few verses, uh, verse 12, uh, we witness the reluctant obedience of the sailors uh, to the prophet's words. As Jonah, he implores them, he says, if you throw me into the sea, the sea will become calm. They're first, they're apprehensive, but then they, they eventually comply as they see that their own efforts are, are futile. And they lift Jonah and, and they cast him into the churning waters. And true to the prophet's promise, the seas subside. This calming, may I ask, did it happen gradually? As one might expect. Almost certainly did not. The sailor's reaction reveals the abruptness of this divine intervention. It is like a, a, a light switch. When one encounters the, the living God... They're instantly changed. As Paul Washer once said, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, if you were to happen to get hit by a semi-truck, would you be changed? Yeah, I most certainly would. How much more grand is the God of the universe? having an encounter with the divine, with the, the creator of all things. Encounter with our Lord. You will be changed. You must be changed. The Lord changes people. He changes their heart. He changes their disposition. And although one's uh, walk with the Lord, although one's drawing to the Lord as, as the Father draws that person to the Son, it may, it may feel in a sense that it is uh, over a period of time. I think every, every believer can look back upon their life and see these different things even prior to them coming to saving faith in which the Lord drew them and, and brought him unto his, his, into his strong right arm and, and, and brought him under his protection, brought him into the sanctuary. But as entering into that sanctuary, it is a instant. The old man is gone. The new is alive in Christ. So the sailor's reaction it's, it's a, reveals astonishment. They were astonished, indicating an instantaneous cessation of the storm's fury. The response fearing the Lord with great awe suggests a, a recognition here of the supernatural nature of this event. I mean, after all, who has ever heard of a vast sea calming instantaneously upon the disposal of an unfaithful prophet? It wasn't a natural occurrence. This was a divine intervention. 
Now, verse 17, the seemingly unbelievable event of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. Often met with skepticism. This verse uh, invites reflection on a profound truth. Again, deliverance comes solely from God. It's not a matter matter of whether a, a man can survive in the belly of a fish. Rather, it is a testament to God's power to save his people from seemingly insurmountable circumstances. And consider here, consider the parallel with Christ's crucifixion. Just as Jonah faced certain death in the sea, Christ intentionally submitted to the cross for the redemption of his people. As Jonah is is cast into the raging storm, cast into the wrath of God, and as Christ hangs upon the cross and in the wrath of God, the wrath of his father being poured out upon him, Christ's intentionality to submit to the cross, this wasn't a happenstance. It was the deliberate plan of redemption orchestrated by God himself. Just as the deliverance that came through the prophet Jonah there preaching who it is in which is the the creator of all things, the the heavens and the sea and the dry land, and that it was his uh, disobedience that brought about the, the wrath of God that's creating this stormy, tempestuous sea. Just as God orchestrated the deliverance of the mariners. Christ upon the cross. This deliberate plan of redemption. Orchestrated by God himself and decreed in infinity's past. Jesus' resurrection after three days mirrors Jonah's deliverance from the belly of the fish. A miraculous display of God's power over death and deliverance from sin. Who is it? Who is it that holds the key of David? Who is it that holds the key to to Hades and death itself? Only the one who is worthy, the Lamb of God. The vast difference between Jonah and our Lord is that Jonah, he, he went on to eventually die. His body decayed to dust. But Christ, the faithful servant, did not see corruption. His body resurrected to glorification, ascended into heaven, the firstborn of the creation, the forerunner of his people. Dear Christian, your king is alive. Your king has been resurrected. Your king has gone before you. What a great assurance is that to know that you have a great high priest who intercedes on your behalf. You have the one who has went before you, knowing then, therefore, since he has been resurrected, you too will be resurrected to life. So what do these accounts teach us? 
many things, and, and I, I hope many things are ringing loudly into your heart. First, they, they affirm God's sovereign control. His sovereign control over all things. To include his prophet Jonah, to include the great fish, to include the tempestuous sea, to include the salvation of the mariners, to include the salvation of you. Jonah's life serves as a vivid illustration of this truth. Secondly, they underscore the reality of deliverance through God alone. Again, our, our salvation rests solely on God's intervention. Lastly, they compel us to trust in God's sovereignty, to, reply, to, to, to rely upon the, the creator of the sea and the dry land. To him alone is the giver and a protector of salvation. And so I'll, I'll implore the inquiries that we started with at the beginning. And I'll ask, under what conditions are we rescued? Under what conditions are we rescued? As we see here from the mariners, the mariners came to the realization that in and of themselves, deliverance will never be found. They can row and row and row with all their strength and with all their might. And they will come up short. They could row for, for all of eternity. And they'll come up short. You can take millions and millions upon mariners and, and row and row and row for thousands and thousands of years. And you place all those works of all that rowing, you place it upon the scale. You place Christ upon the other side, the other side of that tipping scale. And Christ outweighs them all. So how does deliverance manifest? We look upon that question we look upon this narrative of Jonah, we see that it is solely an act of God himself. You may, you may say, well, the, the mariners did toss Jonah into the sea. How did Jonah get there in the first place? You may say Jonah called them into to repentance. It was Jonah who, who told them how to be delivered, who gave Jonah the words to speak. How did Jonah even know who, who the God of, of the sea and the dry land and the, the one who created all things? And flesh and blood did not reveal that to him, but it was his Father who is in heaven. So deliverance, manifests through the sovereign decree of God, and the sovereign decree of God alone. So who ultimately bears responsibility for our salvation? The last inquiry here, I'll finish with 
Jonah chapter two, verse nine, our pinnacle verse of the entirety of the book of Jonah. And that is salvation belongs to the Lord. Until next time, grace and peace.